Welcome to the Metabolic MD. Health means everything. We all seek optimal health, but most of us do not know how to achieve it. Dr. Paul Kaladze has spent a career in the emergency department. Now, he helps his patients avoid ever ending up there. During these podcasts, you'll learn how you can lose weight and prevent and reverse disease through new technology, a modified diet, and the use of some new recently approved FDA medications. This information is not meant to be medical advice. Please seek consultation from your own medical provider. Let's listen in. Hello, folks. Welcome to the very first episode of The Metabolic MD with Dr. Paul Kolodzik. Dr. Paul Kolodzik, I hope I pronounced that correctly, did you I? You got it right. Well, thank you very much. And why are we doing this thing about metabolics, and why are you the right guy to tell us about this? Well, I'm the right guy to tell you about it because I've been doing it for a while. But before I started focusing on metabolic health for individuals, I was an emergency doctor, and I did that for 25 years. So I kind of got to see the end result of people having metabolic health problems and now being in crisis, whether that be a stroke or heart attack or now needing dialysis. And so a few years ago, I got I got out in front of this by getting board certified in preventative medicine and have been practicing metabolic health for about the last seven years. All right, so for people like me who are not that bright, what the heck is metabolic medicine? So metabolic health has to do with preventing and reversing chronic health problems. So it's getting your blood pressure down or preventing high blood pressure to begin with. If you're pre-diabetic, it's reversing that pre-diabetes so you never become diabetic. It is addressing those types of issues so that you don't have long-term chronic health issues and end up in the emergency department. And have you had luck doing this? Oh, we've had great success doing this. Once people understand what power they have really to control their own destiny, it really is quite eye-opening for people, and they get on board with helping improve their health. So this is our very first episode. We're going to be having other episodes about metabolic uh, conditions and things like that. But why? what made you want to do this? What made you want to focus on this? What was the key thing that said, I need to to develop some time on this thing. Yeah, it was really that experience in the emergency department. It was seeing people come in in crisis and just people that really didn't have an understanding of how their behavior over a period of years ultimately led to that. And then we found that the continuous glucose monitors, which we use in our practice on a daily basis were quite eye-opening for people in terms of understanding their health and making behavioral changes. So the continuous glucose monitor, just by the way, for those listening, I am a diabetic and I do wear one and I wore one long before I met you. Uh, But for those who don't know what a continuous glucose monitor is, tell them what that is. So a continuous glucose monitor is a device that you usually wear on the back of your arm or your stomach. Um, It's applied painlessly, and it generally gives you about two weeks' worth of readings as to what is happening with your blood glucose in real time. So it is associated with a smartphone app usually, and by reading the app, waving the phone over top of the sensor that's on your arm, and then by reading the app, 
app, you can see what your blood glucose is anytime, 24-7. And also, the physician you're working with can follow that data remotely. So it is initially used as a diagnostic tool, you know, what's going on with my blood sugar? And then eventually it's used as a behavioral tool to help people modify their diet, lose weight, and improve their health. So why is it important that people know what their blood sugar is? It's important because a primary problem with most Americans, overweight Americans, which is 60% of American adults, is a problem called insulin resistance. And you have to understand where your blood glucose is in order to attack insulin resistance. And I know people get a fasting blood glucose once a year by their doc or a hemoglobin A1C, but that doesn't give you the real-time picture that a continuous glucose monitor does. So I still don't understand why glucose, having a higher glucose reading than normal, causes me to gain weight. Can you explain that? Yeah, and, and I'll try, you know, to, to, it can, you know, the physiology of this can get fairly complex, but I, I like to simplify it. And the way to look at it is this. If your blood sugar is higher than it needs to be for any prolonged period of time, then your muscles are not going to soak up all that blood glucose. The pancreas is going to be releasing insulin, saying muscles and other organs, we want you to soak up that blood glucose glucose, but the organs are saying, I got plenty of energy here. I don't need any more energy. You just ate plenty of carbs. So I don't need any more energy. So that blood glucose then ends up going to, to the liver and get converted to fat. And that fat gets deposited around the midsection of the body. So, you know, the traditional thinking is, well, if you, if you eat a lot of fat, that's going to make you fat. But the reality is excess carbs are responsible for the obesity epidemic in America. So so excess, excess, excess carbs get converted to sugar, I guess, is, is how it's been explained to me. Yeah. As soon as you eat sugar, it gets absorbed as sugar. But if you eat a complex carb, and when we're talking about carbs, we're talking about bread and rice and pasta and potatoes. As soon as that's absorbed in your gut, it is glucose in your blood. And then again, that goes to fuel your organs. And if there's excess glucose, it will go to your liver, get converted to fat, and we'll all end up with a bigger midsection. All right. How much... If you had to guess, and again, we're just having a conversation, if you had to guess how many people out there who are overweight have this issue, what, what percentage do you think this issue complies to? Yeah, it's probably 75% of people that are overweight. There is a small subset, a minority, that don't have a problem related to insulin resistance. But the majority of the patients that come to me, and initially a lot of them come because they want to just lose weight. They think that's the primary issue, but we find bigger issues than that. The majority of people have insulin resistance that we need to attack and reverse. Okay, so... If I have insulin resistance, how do I know that? Is there, is there a way without a CGM or continuous glucose monitor that I'll know I'm insulin resistant? Well, the best way is to do a fasting insulin level and calculate a level of insulin resistance. So this is a test that I personally think every primary care doctor in America should be doing, but it's really not met mainstream healthcare yet. But if you check a fasting insulin level and you check a blood glucose at the same time, you can see the relationship between the two. So if you're insulin level is low and your 
blood sugar is a little bit higher, maybe that's okay. But if your insulin level is high because your muscles and organs are resisting insulin and your blood sugar um, isn't being well controlled, then that leads to a problem. Okay. So the, the idea behind this podcast is A, to educate people about this thing known as insulin resistant and how it applies to weight gain or weight loss. What are other, the other things we're going to be talking about in these podcasts that are coming up? Well, insulin resistance is the main issue, but then you need to really drill down to a pragmatic approach as to how you manage manage that. I believe in low-carb diets because they drive down insulin resistance and help people lose weight. So to talk about low-carb diets for a second, if you think about it, the food pyramid was ushered in in the 1970s, right. okay? And we were told that we needed to avoid fat at all costs and we needed to increase our carb consumption because all things being equal, if you aren't eating fat, then you need to have some other source of energy. Well, since that happened and we started to switch our diet to increasing carbohydrates, the epidemics of obesity and diabetes have occurred in the country. So I'm an advocate of a low-carb diet. And really, you know, people kind of hear low-carb diet and they think, oh, maybe that's kind of fringe or that's something radical. When we're talking about a low-carb diet, we're just talking about going back to the way people ate, you know, before the 1970s, to the way Americans have eaten for hundreds of years, which was a higher percentage of fat in the diet and a lower percentage of carbohydrates. So they told us to get away from eggs, to get away from fatty steak, to get away from hamburgers. And you're kind of coming back and saying, no, that's not the case? That is not the case, I don't believe. Now, there are good fats and bad fats, and you need to primarily focus on eating good fats. But the issue now is that we went from eating, on average, 150 carbohydrate grams per day back in the 50s and 60s to now eating, on average, 300 to 350. And remember, if there's excess blood glucose in your system, it's going to go ahead and go to your liver and get converted to fat. Th think about it. If you look back at film, like old movies or even just newsreels from the 40s, 50s, and 60s, you know, it's almost like, you know, there wasn't any obesity back then. And you compare, you know, that kind of picture to today, where we have 60% of Americans overweight or obese, then something has changed. And my belief is what has changed is we, we've evolved from a balanced diet uh, to a reduced fat diet that has led to these issues. And, the, and then with these issues are all the other things that come with it. Diabetes, diabetic complications, strokes, heart attacks, the need for dialysis. That's, it's kind of fascinating to think about, you're, but you're right. If you look back, these people on those film clips are usually pretty thin. It is. And, and if you look at the curves in terms of the, the graphs of obesity, diabetes, and carb consumption, you can see when carb consumption goes down, excuse me, when fat and, and fat consumption, when fat consumption goes down, then obesity and diabetes start prevailing. Gosh, that's just completely reversed of what I was grew up with. Well, we've, right? all, we've all been educated that, you know, avoid fat, low fat, reduced fat. And I'm not going to be a conspiracy theorist here, <laughs> but, 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 you know, <clears throat> this was a good thing for the food processing industry because you can produce highly profitable processed food um, with a high amount of carbohydrates. You know, quality meat and eggs, etc., are not as profitable. Yeah, well, that's, 
That's, that's all. We're going to have more conversations about all this stuff in the future, but what kind of patients do you normally see? Who, who are the people knocking on your door saying, hey, can, can you help me or can you talk to me about this? Yeah, so it really falls in two categories. It's those people that know they have health problems to begin with, and they want to begin to address those. High blood pressure, high cholesterol, and then maybe some of the complications that go, in with, go with being overweight, like uh, acid reflux or fatty liver disease. Um, and the other category is just people that come in and they say, you know what, I, I want to lose 20 pounds. Sometimes it's an aesthetic issue. They just want to look better. And we can help them do that. And if they don't have insulin resistance or other issues, we help them do that with the continuous glucose monitors. But a lot of those people also have underlying issues that have led to them being overweight. So I, I do have a question for you because you said if they have high cholesterol. Now the conversation we just had was about reducing fats. And how does that equal? Because you think if you're reducing fats, you're reducing cholesterol. But if yeah. I'm eating more fats, doesn't my cholesterol go up? Well, so first of all, 80% of the cholesterol produced in your body comes from production in the liver. Okay, only 20% of it is what you consume. Okay, so that process that we just talked about, about extra carbs going to the liver, being converted, extra high blood glucose going to the liver being converted to fat is where most of that cholesterol was manufactured so we're going ahead and you know slowing down that process on a low carb diet okay okay Got it. Uh, but also in general with a low carb diet triglycerides don't go up and there have been some recent studies also that have shown that if you're thin to begin with yeah a high fat diet's going to go ahead and may bump your cholesterol a little bit but if you have a high bmi to begin with, it's shown that that generally doesn't happen. All right. So I, I guess the question that I have is, you know, I go to my primary care doctor and he's a nice guy. Love him. He's a great guy. But he walks in, he looks at a computer, starts typing. He kind of asks you a couple questions and then off he goes to writing me a prescription. Right. And I think that's a big issue with healthcare these days. Uh, what, what is your approach when you kind of meet with clients? Well, first of all, healthcare now is set up to treat disease. It's not really set up to be preventative. And you're right, you go into your primary care doctor and, you know, let's face it, they've got 20 minutes to meet with you once or twice a year. They're focused on addressing the issue at hand, which may be that your blood pressure's up or your cholesterol or your blood glucose is up a little bit. What we do is complement what they do. They, they help address disease that might be progressing, what we do is get to the root cause of the problem, which is often, again, insulin resistance, and help reverse that. All right. And, and, and as a diabetic, right, I've been taking medications for 30 years now, and some of it's to help lower blood sugar, and some of it's insulin now to kind of control the whole thing. What, what are the approaches that you do to help people lower blood sugar? Okay, so the first thing we do is we bring people in and we put a continuous glucose monitor on them for two weeks. We and call, that doesn't hurt, correct? That's just it, it one does, of these little things it, I put on It my doesn't arm. hurt. I mean, you, you wear one, so you know they don't hurt. Yeah, they don't hurt yeah. at all, folks. Yeah, they yeah. don't hurt to be put on and yeah. they don't hurt to wear them. Yeah. And then that opens the world of what's going on with my blood glucose. And what I tell people initially is, you know what, don't change your diet here for at least a week. Just eat like like you normally eat, let's get an understanding on what your blood glucose patterns are and then we can address it. So if they're eating at McDonald's every day, you want them to keep eating at McDonald's because you for want to see a, what the impact is. For a week, though I will tell you, you know, <laughs> people get this 
continuous glucose monitor on and it almost immediately they start changing their behavior because they don't want you to see what what normally goes on you know i don't think it's that they don't want me to see it i think it's that almost immediately they get an understanding of what's going on and the potential issues that that may be causing for them okay so they're they're able to kind of see it themselves because you do i as a as a guy who wears one you do get to kind of look at the graph and the chart and you'll see oh my gosh i'm above 160 Hmm, maybe I shouldn't eat ate those fries or yeah. or, or, or done what I've you know, eaten what I've eaten. Yeah, as an example, I have patients that have come in and said, I'm here to see you because I want to lose 20 pounds. I say, okay, let's go ahead and go through this trial period. Yep. And their blood sugars are spiking to 180, 220, 225. And it's they have, have blown through the pre-diabetes phase. They don't even know they're pre-diabetic. Oh, yeah, that's right. They've blown through the pre-diabetes phase and they're already diabetic. Yeah, there's that thing called a tipping point. Yeah. And I hit that tipping point a while back. Yeah. And I wish I didn't hit that tipping point, but I did. So it's the people that are pre-diabetic that that I think have a great opportunity because pre-diabetes can be reversed completely. Now, we do have patients that are diabetic, and we have put patients with diabetes in what I call remission, which means that they've been able to take a holiday, a break from their medications. We get their blood glucose down with diet. We do some other things to help with management of their blood glucose that we'll talk about, like straight training and some intermittent fasting. Um, but we can help them go into remission for a period of time. Now, it's not really right to say that you've cured their diabetes because it's yes. likely going to come back. Exactly. But with pre-diabetics, you can reverse it to the point where they never progress to diabetes. Well, that that's a whole other conversation that we're going to have to have on another podcast. So, Tell me a little bit about the treatment plan or the treatment plan that your team and you kind of put together for folks. What, tell me what that looks like. Walk me through as if I just came to your office. Okay. So we go ahead and we do the two-week trial. We also do the fasting insulin level to calculate the level of insulin resistance. I've never had, you know, I don't think I've ever had that done. Yeah. Now that if you're on insulin now, you really can't get an accurate reading. Right. It's for patients that are not on insulin, really. Okay. Okay. Um, so we go ahead and go through that phase. We have a nutritional coach, personal trainer that checks in with the patient during that two-week period of time. And then they come back and they have a second visit with me and we go over their CGM data, we go over their labs, their insulin uh, levels, their level of insulin resistance. We also do lipids. We check their cholesterol, right. etc. Um, and then based on that, we put a plan together. The plan usually consists of continuing to wear a continuous glucose monitor now as a behavioral tool so that, you know, you right. know what spikes your blood sugar. Yeah, it does help, folks. Trust me, but go, yeah. keep going. Um, and then we usually look at some type of intermittent fasting. And for some people, that's just overnight. You know, 8 p.m. to 8 a.m., they aren't going to eat. But then we do try and extend that because fasting has been proven to decrease levels of insulin resistance. Okay. Okay. In addition to that, we also often put together a strength training approach. Now, Why strength and not, not running on a treadmill or something like okay, that? Okay, so, you, you know, actually I did, a, I did a TikTok video that said, get off the gosh darn treadmill only. <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> didn't, didn't, use, didn't use quite those words yeah. um, that, that end up getting over a million views, actually. Um, but it had to do with, and I, and I said in the video, I really didn't mean, you know, you don't have to get completely off the treadmill, but don't neglect your strength training because 
Um, muscles are one of the most malleable organs in the body, which means you can change their size and shape. And by increasing your muscle mass so even a little bit, you're increasing the quality and the receptivity of those insulin receptors on your muscles. And that again will help drive down your insulin resistance and help you lose weight. So let me make sure I got this right, because this is kind of uh, light bulbs going off in my head right now. I've been on the treadmill and kind of when I get off, I'll do a couple reps on curls or something like that, but just kind of like, okay, I did it, I'm out. You're saying I should probably focus more on curls and bench and things like that. Yeah. Strength training, push-ups versus treadmill. Yeah, I mean, that's what I believe because it helps with insulin resistance. Now, you know, I, I, I don't want to be out there on left field on this, so I have our patients follow the American Heart Association guidelines related to cardiovascular training, which says, you know, get your heart rate at 65% of your maximum heart rate for 150 minutes a week or at 80% of your maximum heart rate for 75 minutes a week. So what I like to see my patients do is get that higher heart rate, get their 75 minutes in, follow the American Heart Association guidelines, and then get focused on strength training because that's going to help them decrease that insulin resistance and ultimately help them lose more weight. All right, so let's just quickly focus on, I'm 62, right? So older folks, as we get older, you know, a fast walk is something that we even look forward to is... Is that not good enough? Do I do we need to be pushing beyond those boundaries? It's all about where your heart rate is. Okay. I, have, I guess. Well, I have an Apple Watch. Will tell me. Yeah. But I, I, you know, it doesn't tell me that I'm high or low. It just tells me what it is. How do I know if I'm high or low? So the the formula is uh, the number two hundred twenty minus your age. Hold on. Say that again. Okay. Two twenty minus age minus sixty two. Okay. Yeah. So you're you're somewhere around one hundred and sixty is your heart rate. Okay. You, you know, is your is your target heart rate. Right. Okay. And then you take eighty percent of that. Okay, okay, so if I'm at 120, 140, I'm probably there. Yeah, yeah. For you, it's going to be in the 130 range. I okay. haven't done the exact numbers in my head here. Okay. Well, that's good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's good to know. Uh, so go, going back quickly, because we're going to be wrapping this podcast, this very first podcast up. Uh, what I'm curious about is, you know, I said I go to my doctor, he types, he looks, he's out the door in five minutes. Tell me the experience I would have if I came to see you, because I, I don't quite understand the difference yet. Well, uh, again, we're going to be in a preventive mode as opposed to a reactionary mode in terms of treating your illnesses. We don't, we don't. I'm not going to focus on giving you a medicine to lower your blood pressure or improve your cholesterol. We're going to be in a proactive mode, and what we're going to do is just what we talked about. You're going to go through a trial period, and then we're going to put a plan together that helps you meet your weight and overall health. Healthcare goals. All right, so I'm I'm knocking on your door. You walk in, or you walk in. You come to the little patient room. We're saying, how long are we meeting for? Generally, I meet with patients the first time for an hour. An hour. Uh, yeah, really I've takes never a, yeah. met with a doctor for an hour ever. <laughs> yeah, we need we need to get to know you. Okay. Um, and then actually during that two week period of time, we get all your data and we meet with you for another hour. And that second meeting is really the most important meeting because that's when we're going to be putting the plan together that that gets you where you need to do need to be. Is my plan custom versus somebody else's or is it they all kind yeah, of the it, same? Yeah, it's plan? all completely you know individualized. And of course, we send 
uh, an outline of what your specific customized plan is. Right. Um, and then after you meet with me a second time, then our health coach, personal trainer will be in touch with you about every week and I will continue to meet with you monthly for a six month period of time. And then after six months, we kind of reassess where you are. And if you still have goals you want to meet, we continue. And if you think, hey, I, un- I understand this low carb stuff now, I understand this strength training stuff and you're doing fine on your own then you're off to the races on your own okay so i know we're going to be doing future podcasts do you happen to know some of the topics that we'll be covering that we can kind of just ramble off the top of your head real quick well i i think what we want to do is highlight those therapeutic interventions that really will make a difference in terms of you know what exactly is a low-carb diet i mean I'm surprised, but sometimes people don't even, uh, I don't mean to be negative, but don't understand what a carb is. Like one, oh, I don't. Like, yeah. I, don't I, I still to this day don't quite get it. Someone yeah. says, eat this many carbs. I said, what the hell is, how, how do I know how well, many I'll carbs you, that is? The, the way you think of carbs is they are really just bundles of sugar molecules. Yeah, but how do okay? I know if I'm in a restaurant, how many carbs is on my plate? Yeah, you get pretty, my patients get pretty good at that after how, a what, while. What, what's the secret to know that? Well, it's just doing it, you know. It's just measuring. You, you know, you, you can't manage what you don't measure. And so when you begin to manage your carbs, you really just increase your knowledge base. And you know that that apple's going to have this many carbs or that slice of pizza is going to have about that. We, we use apps, you know, to, to teach people yeah. to count their carbs and to follow their macronutrient mix. Macronutrients are the combination of fat, carbs, and uh, protein they eat every day. Okay. Well, is there any advice we want to leave the listeners with for our very first podcast? Any kind of words of wisdom from Dr. Paul? Okay. It's just understand that many middle-aged Americans have metabolic health problems. Those are largely related to insulin resistance. And if you can begin to educate yourself a little bit about insulin resistance, then you can begin to put a plan together to help attack and reverse that. And that will not only lead to weight loss, but it'll lead to overall improved metabolic health associated with blood pressure, cholesterol, blood glucose, etc. I'm still confused about what the term metabolic means. Could you is it is it encompassing everything? Is that what we are? We're just one big metabolic body. So so the term metabolic, from a de- a definition standpoint, really means you're taking energy into your body and that energy is being processed. Okay. To, okay. To provide your organs the ability to do what they need to do. So what we're talking about is, you know, what are you consuming? What energy is coming into your body? And how is it used? How is it metabolized? And what we want it to do is be is keep your blood glucose low by having that blood glucose soaked up by your organs in real time, keeping your blood glucose relatively stable as opposed to result in accumulation of fat in your body, which leads ultimately to high blood pressure, high cholesterol. And then the other problems, fatty liver disease, GERD, clogging of the arteries, heart attacks, strokes, congestive heart failure. You're the greatest hits of of emergency (laughs) care there, aren't you? It is. It is. I've lived it for a long time. All right, Dr. Paul. Well, this has been fun. I've actually enjoyed this. I'm learning something as a diabetic who wears a CGM. And uh, I look forward to our very next podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks, Terry. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Metabolic MD with Dr. Paul Kolodzik. 
Please join us again for the next episode to hear how your metabolic health means everything and to learn tips on how to lose weight and possibly reverse some serious health conditions. This information is not meant to be medical advice. Please seek consultation from your own medical professional.